Welcome to the Bible Professor Podcast Show. Here is your host, the Reverend Dr. Mal Winstead. Okay, welcome to a Bible study here on Psalm 19. Uh, we want to run down through these 14 verses. Let's read it for you to set the stage. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanse is declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their lion has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them, he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, the much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Also, keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 19 can be seen this way. The first uh, six verses uh, demonstrate um, natural theology, that God has revealed himself through general revelation, you know, the heavens and what's out there in the skies, uh, what's in the world, uh, at any rate, uh, the design in the universe and so forth. So general revelation. And then he switches gears to specific revelation or special revelation, that is, all these synonyms with scripture. And and certainly these things uh, can uh, be seen here, uh, but uh, we might need to consider that actually Psalm 19 uh, is talking about uh, the glory of the law of the Lord. So uh, the first six verses is actually an ode to the giver of the law and then the glory of the law uh, in its manifold uses in the uh, um, uh, second half. The giver of the law, that really is the point of the first six verses. You say, well, how? why do you say it's more about the law, actually, the special revelation of God? Uh, although, again, the general revelation is certainly here by way of illustration. So uh, what I would say here at this point is the very first verse really uh, is the kicker. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. So, yes. There's general revelation out here in the universe, the design and universe and so forth, a creation. Uh, of course, you know, if you need to uh, look into the arguments for creationism and um, that the earth was created and so forth, you know, you can consider the teleological argument, arguments from design or purpose, uh, and also the cosmological argument in uh, its two variations, at least uh, given by uh, Christian philosophers these days. You can look at uh, Norman Geisler's, uh, Geisler and Turek's 12 points that show Christianity is true. That third point, the theistic God exists. All of those philosophical arguments uh, or, or theistic arguments, you can look into that. That's great. I highly recommend uh, you do. At any rate, the heavens are telling of the glory of God. So the psalm is about the lawgiver 
okay, the creator. It's about God. It's not about his creation, except that the creation demonstrates that uh, God exists, or actually they tell of his glory, actually. So uh, this is one of the three main Torah Psalms in uh, the, the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 is a Torah Psalm. Uh, meditation on the key, uh, meditation on the word of God is a key to the blessed uh, life in Psalm 1, right? How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of the scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, okay? Uh, psalm 19 here is also a Torah psalm. It is about Torah. Um, it is about um, the instruction or law of God. And our attitude uh, toward uh, that should be one of reverence and obedience and and living uh, a life that is um, in tune with uh, God's word. Psalm 119 also is uh, a Torah psalm, unarguably uh, even more so there than the other two, perhaps, because uh, pretty much every verse, maybe one or two out of the hundred and 176 uh, verses in there uh, mention the word of God in some facet, maybe an adjective or whatever. So anyway, uh, you have here a Torah psalm. It is about uh, the law of God. It just is. The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Okay, so it's the glory of the lawgiver or the giver of the law. And then there's the glory of the law and its manifold uses. So the creation hymn here, a nature is personified here, but not deified, okay? God the lawgiver is praised, as I said in verse 1, the heavens are telling of his glory. That is their purpose. Uh, in fact, this aligns with Romans chapter 1, also a topic on a general revelation uh, that God has revealed himself uh, through what has been made so that people who are without excuse Paul uh, preaches on that uh, note, mentions that note in his sermon in Acts 17 in Athens as well. And then also God has revealed himself generally in uh, Romans 2 through the human conscience so that every person, again, is doubly without excuse. God re has revealed himself in creation and in the conscience. We know that there's a moral lawgiver out there. And then uh, just to support what I'm saying here, what I'm trying to emphasize is that Psalm 19 really uh, – is about the glory of God. The heavens heavens are telling of the glory of God. It's verse 6 when it talks about the circuit of the sun. Uh, it, 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 um, it says that the connection there is the last phrase in verse 6. There's nothing hidden from the heat of the sun that God's created. There's nothing hidden from the heat. So it, it's almost like uh, nothing hidden from its heat is both anaphoric and cataphoric. It deals with what goes before it and what goes after it. It connects the two. There's nothing hidden from the heat, uh, if you will, of the word of God as well. And so then he 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 just dives right into uh, segues into verse seven, the law of the Lord. Okay, so uh, the creation, the heavens are telling uh, of the glory of God. Their expanse is um is um. Declaring the work of his hand, day to day pours forth speech, night to night reveals knowledge. Uh, their voice is not heard, okay? Uh, and certainly uh, the voice of the heavens, the stellar heavens, has not been heard. 
was not heard in David's day, if you will. In other words, they don't speak intelligibly to humans uh, in that way. Although uh, recently uh, some um, have uh, recorded uh, the noise out there in deep space uh, and uh, that they make noise actually might support the fact that here um, day-to-day pours forth speech, right? The heavens are telling the glory of God. But I think a simpler and clearer and much stronger uh, point should be made at this point that design in the universe, uh, design must have a designer, right? A watch must have a watchmaker. William Paley's watchmaker argument from a few hundred years ago uh, still stands pretty well, he thinks. Uh, um, also, there's uh, the effects of natural disasters on the planet. Uh, so he says the heavens are declaring the glory of God, and they are. But also the effects of natural disasters demonstrate uh, on our planet today demonstrate the feasibility of what happened at the flood, the great flood of Noah's day, uh, Genesis uh, 6 and 7, the destruction, the erosion, the canyon formation, which uh, what we've observed in the last couple of year, hundred years, what humans have observed is that canyon formation does not take millions of years, for instance. It just takes a lot of water, a lot of power, and a little, uh, uh, and that can happen a little amount of time. Same with fossils. Fossils are buried uh, in sediment and formed uh, when there's power, powerful forces of water, not through long ages of time. That can't even be observed. It's not, that's uh, evolution uh, at that point then is not observable science. Uh, what is observable is that canyons can be formed in a short amount of time, erosion, destruction. Uh, what can be observe, observed is the design in the universe, what apologists and uh, astronomers and other Christian scientists are telling us today is called the fine tuning. Also, please watch my, um, if you're interested, watch my uh, uh, um, um, video uh, on um, that I did with uh, uh, Jonathan McClatchy, uh, where he goes through the design at the cellular uh, level as well, and the irreducible complexity, and so many at so many points. On that, and you can see all of his arguments there, and he makes quite a clear uh, argument for that. So, yeah, all of creation is declaring uh, the glory of the great law giver. Okay, um, time. All, all of the all of the uh, uh, forces there are at the beginning in Genesis. By the way, time uh, is there in the beginning. Uh, there was a force, God. God is the one created. The action was he created. Uh, he created space, the heavens. He created matter, the earth. So time, force, action, space, and matter are all there in the beginning. Uh, and uh, in fact, um, John MacArthur's book, The Battle for the Beginning, he says all of that wonderful complexity from uh, the carefully balanced gases in our atmosphere to the incredible means by which plants produce is clear evidence of intelligent design. Anyone who looks creation without recognizing the infinite intelligence behind it is willfully by, uh, blind. Well, that is the case. Uh, that is uh, actually exactly what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 1, uh, there without excuse, okay? And so you have this... Uh, you have the heavens that we can see through science today, uh, right? Uh, uh, geology, uh, chemistry, astronomy, uh, those three major uh, branches of science demonstrate for us that uh, uh, creation was designed and there was a creator. Okay. 
So that's the first six verses of Psalm 19 are giving, or uh, uh, just encouraging us about everything around us, all of nature, all of creation, uh, tell of the glory of our great uh, lawgiver, our great God, our great creator. And then uh, we look at the next uh, half of it. The law of the Lord is perfect. And here we have... Um, here we have six synonyms, six characteristics, six results of God's word. It is uh, referred to as law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, judgments. Okay, and the characteristics of those uh, are: it, it uh, God's word is perfect, it is sure, it is right, it is pure, it is clean, it is true. God's word is true. And then uh, six results are uh, it restores the soul. It makes wise the simple. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It endures forever. It is righteous altogether. So uh, you have that going on. Uh, I'd like to, uh, I, I love this quote from one, one of my favorite Puritan uh, uh, pastors to read as uh, Thomas Watson. He said, ignorance of scripture is the mother of error. Ignorance of scripture is the mother of error. So, um, God's word is precious. Uh, I think I probably borrowed this outline from John MacArthur over the years. Uh, but uh, anyway, the it unfolds uh, accurately here uh, in the text. Uh, God's word challenges us. Okay, it's perfect. It restores our soul and it makes us wise. So God's word is perfect. Psalm nineteen verse seven says that is His law is true. Holy and absolutely true, totally true, right? The sum of your word is truth. Um, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So we have Old Testament and New Testament uh, dealing with that. And said, in fact, God thinks his word is so perfect. He says in near the beginning uh, in Deuteronomy and the Torah and in the Proverbs, at the end of Proverbs and at the end of Revelation. So beginning, middle and end of the canon, God says, don't add to my word, don't take away from it, okay? So that's what he thinks about his word. It's uh, totally true and uh, sufficient and perfect. God's word is uh, perfect. Uh, that means it's complete, it's comprehensive, it's sufficient to meet believers' spiritual needs. Christians' spiritual needs, the word of God is there to meet those needs. Second um, Peter 1, 3, God's word says that he has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. So all that we need to live godly in this life, God's given to us in the scriptures. It is that sufficient. It is that uh, perfect. And the result is it restores the soul. It turns us back to where we need to be, right? Uh, God's word uh, can do this uh, for us. King David said elsewhere, this is my comfort in my affliction that your word has revived me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, Psalm 51, 12. So he looks to he looks to God and his word to restore him. You've been born again through God's word, actually. First Peter one twenty three, James one twenty one as well. You receive the word implanted, which is able to save uh, your soul. So the law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. It brings us back where we need to be. Both if we're an unbeliever, it restores us to God, back to our creator, into that uh, firm and eternal relationship. Uh, if you are a Christian coming at it from that angle, it also restores you. It turns you back 
to where you need to uh, to be. The second half of verse seven, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The testimony of the Lord is sure, uh, making wise the simple. God's word is sure. That means it's not uh, um, variable or uncertain. It's immovable, unmistakable. It's worthy to be trusted. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Simple uh, comes from a Hebrew word uh, for someone who's easily led astray. So uh, what the word of God does for us here is give us discernment as we read it, imbibe it, memorize it, meditate on it, marinate on it, uh, treasure it in our hearts so that we don't sin against God. For instance, Psalm 1911, uh, 119.11, um, it gives us discernment, okay? It gives us the wisdom we need uh, to live for God. Um, NIV application commentary says, like a highway sign notifying drivers of winding roads or treacherous conditions ahead, the Torah is provided to warn the faithful of dangerous and slippery conditions that confront them, end quote. So it makes wise those of us that are simple. And then the word of God really, uh, it can cheer us up. The the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. God's word is right. Uh, it's straight. It lays out the right path for us. Um, and we'd better abide by it. If we want our heart rejoiced, if we want to walk in a path that brings joy, uh, the joy of moral satisfaction uh, in this life. So uh, that's God's word, uh, what God's word does for us. And matter of fact, Psalm 119, 165 says, great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. Great peace have those who love your law. Jeremiah 15, 16, the metaphor of eating the word of God, meaning he 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 thought about it, he memorized it, he internalized it, he made it his own. Uh what he was going to follow in life would be Jeremiah 15, 16. Your word was found and I ate them, ate your word, and it became to me uh the joy and rejoicing of my heart or a joy and delight. Uh, to my heart. Uh, Psalm 119.1, how blessed. Psalm 119.1, how blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Nehemiah 8, uh, they read from the uh, law of God, from the book, uh, translated and give the sense so that people understood it. And the people uh, uh, just really, uh, this brought a revival to their hearts at that point uh, in their history. And then uh, verse 8, the second half, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's pure. It's clear. Uh, it enlightens our eyes. Again, this is also another re reconnection with the, the sunlight imagery back in verse uh, 6, actually. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 130 says, the unfolding of your word gives light, gives understanding to the simple. And that's that's what I have the, the passion to do when, when I open God's word, I, I pray that it's we're unfolding it. We should be unfolding it for other people to open God's word, to let his light shine into their heart and mind and souls and into their worlds. And I hope as the Bible professor on this podcast, I'm doing that for you, men and women. I, I deeply desire that to unfold God's word so that you uh, see his light and that by it, you see everything else more clearly as well. So I hope it's a blessing to you. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes, enlightening the eyes. Um, when I finally trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior at the age of 22, I all of a sudden began to understand the Bible. I had read it. 
plenty of times before, but now I understood who God was. I understood why Jesus died for me. I began to understand that scriptures are true about the state of man, the state of culture, and the way of salvation, and that it is true in, in everything uh, it uh, speaks to, and every word of it. The word of God also changes us. Verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord. Okay, this is uh, the effect uh, is actually what it's it's called by its effect. It produces fear and reverence uh, for God uh, uh, for us. It's a manual on how to fear God. Uh, it's clean. It's without uh, defilement, and it endures forever. I I use a New American Standard Bible, and the slogan verse for the New American Standard Bible has uh, for years and years been. And it's written in the front of uh, every New American Standard Bible under the forward. Scriptural promise. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah 40, verse 8. And for uh, Peter quotes that over in 1 Peter uh, 1. The word of our God stands forever. The word of our God stands forever. And God's people has have always stood for his truth and defended his truth. Even the martyrs from a few hundred years ago uh, defended God's truth all the way to the death. Christians have done that. Christians today need to wake up and maybe understand where their allegiance is and uh, not back down off the truth of Scripture uh, when you're confronted by uh, liberal theology and uh, relativism and ungodly uh, attacks on Scripture and the clarity of Scripture, truthfulness of Scripture, unity of Scripture. Uh, this is God's Word, and this is what it does for us, okay? It endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. Whatever God's Word speaks on, it is true. It doesn't matter. Um, like um, uh, Dale Tackett's uh, The Truth Project, See, he, he, he uh, lays out there and develops any point of the compass toward any branch of knowledge in the universe that you point to, God's word uh, speaks to it, and it speaks truth about it. The sum of your word is truth, Psalm 119, 160. Sanctify them in the truth, okay? Uh, again, God's word is true. It's righteous all together. And then uh, it is more desirable than gold, okay? Uh, Job um, mentioned that uh, God's word was... Uh, just this amazing to him. God's word is powerful, Psalm 19. Okay. These are the things it does for us, and it's more desirable than gold and sweeter than honey to us. Should be that. And uh, it also uh, convicts us of sin. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. Uh, verse 11. Um, William McDonald says, One thing in common with gold. The values and treasure of the word of God have to be dug out. Okay. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, point as well. You've got to study God's word if you want that, um, uh, if, if you want that blessing from it, if you want it to uh, uh, restore your soul, to make you wise, to rejoice your heart, to enlighten your eyes. If you want to understand how righteous it is, how true it is, uh, how it endures forever, and how it's always there for you. And all the many blessings about God and Christ and what God has done for us in Christ and what God wants to teach us. These things have to be dug out. St study your Bible, okay? And 
probably will talk about how to do that at some uh, point. Moreover, by them, your servant is warned there in keeping them. There is a great uh, reward. So the word of God uh, warns us, right? It tells us what God's desires are for us, right? And most of those commands, if you go over in the New Testament, especially in the letters or the epistles of Paul and the other apostles, Jude, John, uh, and uh, James, Peter, we're given clear commands. They're, they're ethical injunctions. They're given in the imperative mood in the language. They're just clear commands of how to live. God says, do this, right? All of those are going to be against our human nature, our sinful human nature. We're not going to want to do them naturally. Okay. And that's why, you know, part of our sanctification, becoming more like, uh, more like uh, Jesus Christ, we want to become more and more like Jesus and grow closer to God spiritually. And that's going to take um, obeying God's word and, and fighting through the, uh, the temptation of, you know, self, self-interest, uh, self-desires. And we're going to have to obey uh, what God gives us uh, in his scripture, most especially in those areas, like I said, in the New Testament, in the letters, uh, God uh, tells us, he warns us and tells us how he wants us to live. Okay. Okay. And then verse 12 and 13, who can discern his errors, acquit me of hidden faults, keep back your servant from from presumptuous sins, let them not uh, rule over me. Uh, basically here, this is the attitude of a mature Christian, of a Christian who's growing uh, and wanting to uh, keep away from sins in their lives, put things out of their lives that they know shouldn't be there. And uh, so uh, finally, um, and so the word shows us our sins and leads us to the Savior, to the forgiver. Um, what what role does God's word play in your life, my friend? We, we could think back to the Shema. Uh, back in Deuteronomy 4, uh, especially for uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, sorry, verses 4 through 6, that part of the Shema, it begins with the Hebrew uh, word Shema. It means, listen up, Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be in your hearts, and you shall teach them diligently to your sons when you walk in your house, when you lie down, when you rise up, when you walk by the way, right? Four different times he mentions there. Hangout time, driving down the road, bedtime, eating time, uh, you know, anytime. God's word should affect you so that you love God supremely and love your neighbor as yourself. It should also affect uh, how you uh, teach your kids if you have your kids. But what role does God's word play in your life would be uh, the question here. Okay, God's word should affect our words. Ephesians 4.29, it should affect our thoughts. Proverbs 4.23, Philippians 4.8, okay? So then finally, there's verse 14. Maybe uh, I know there's a lot of Christians who have committed this to memory over over the years. I've known a lot of Christians over the years who've done this, but let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. So uh, God's word affects us, as I said. Uh, Arthur Pink in his book, Practical Christianity says there's no doctrine revealed in scripture for a merely speculative knowledge, but all is to exert a powerful influence on conduct. God's design and all that he has revealed to us is the purifying of our affections and the transforming of our characters. Okay. How does scripture impact your life? Are you wasting your time every day, letting your life slip by without working on your knowledge of and hence your worship of your great God and savior? What if Christians the world over had 
the following attitude about the Bible as the man in uh, Ravi Zacharias. Uh, he had a book out, uh, Deliver Us from Evil was the name of it. But he tells this story about this uh, Vietnamese translator that Zacharias had met decades ago. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the guy's name, uh, but you can read the story. Basically, this guy, um, uh, I think if I got my story right, the guy had been captured by the Viet Cong and he was uh, in their camp and his job was to clean the, lat the latrines maybe. At any rate, someone had found a Bible and uh, the soldiers were uh, using tearing out pages of the Bible and using it for uh, bathroom tissue, okay? Uh, and this particular guy was finding these things at night as he was cleaning out the trench in there in the latrine and um, uh, cleaning them off as best he could and reading uh, by candlelight or whatever flashlight, uh, reading uh, God's Word uh, at night, reading pages out of the Bible. And uh, he was actually uh, uh, encouraged uh, in that way. And if I'm not mistaken, some of the pages primarily were uh, out of the book of Romans, the ones he found. So, uh, and he desired, he could not wait to go clean the latrine at night to get more pages from God's word to read. Do we have that attitude toward God's word? Do we have that attitude toward God's word? All right. So to sum up so far, I want to talk more about the scripture and what God's word does for us. Okay. We've talked about the glory uh, of the lawgiver and how that creation, everything in creation, points to the lawgiver or the creator. Then we've talked about the law of God itself and what it does uh, for us. And then uh, if we look uh, at uh, this little list here, the word of God is sufficient. It's more valuable than all earthly material treasures. The word warns, the word rewards, the word leads to our redeemer. The word is to be obeyed. Let's talk about scripture. One great piece of literature out there, you can read it online uh, for free. Uh, the, the 1611 translators to the reader, it's the preface to the actual original 1611 King James Bible. And the translators to the readers, here's one of the things they said, the scripture is a tree or rather a whole paradise of trees of life, which bring forth, which bring forth fruit every month, and the fruit thereof is for meat, and the leaves for medicine. It is not a pot of manna or a cruise of oil, which were for memory only or for a meal's meat or two, but as it were a shower of heavenly bread sufficient for a whole host, be it never so great, and as it were a whole cellar full of oil vessels, whereby all of our necessities may be provided for and our debts discharged. In a word, it is a pantry of wholesome food against molded traditions, a physician's, a physician's shop of preservatives against poisoned heresies, a code of profitable laws against rebellious spirits, a treasury of most costly jewels, a fountain of most pure water springing up into everlasting life. It's a great piece of literature, actually. Translators to the readers, folks ought to read that sometime. The translators actually they said, look, we did our best right now, the way the English is in 1611, uh, to translate God's word into the vulgar tongue, they called it, street-level language. And they uh, anticipated, you know, as, as language evolved over time, uh, you know, language is fluid, uh, that they would, um, that others would come along and translate God's word into uh, the street language of the people uh, in their cultures, which is why we have so many different English Bible versions today. 
by the way, that's a topic for another po- podcast coming before too awful long. The Baptist faith and message of the Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention Creed, the 2000, year 2000 version, says the Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. In a word, the scriptures are sufficient. Mentioning back to uh, Thomas Watson in his book, Heaven Taken by Storm, uh, he said, what's a good starting point for reading God's word? How may we read the Bible with profit? He says, how may we read the Bible with profit? He says, remove the love, first remove the love of every sin. Number two, take heed of the thorns which will choke the word. Number three, take heed of jesting with scripture. Number four, prepare your hearts before reading the word. Number five, read the scripture with reverence. Think about every line you read. God is speaking to you. Read the word with seriousness. Deuteronomy 32, 47. Okay, and he has some other, uh, oh, here's his, uh, labor to remember what you read, Colossians 3.16. Number eight, meditate upon what you read, Psalm 119.15. Number nine, come to the reading of Scripture with humble hearts, James 4, verse 6. And number 10, believe it to be of God, 2 Timothy 3.16. Number 11, highly prize the Scripture, Psalm 119.71. Number 12, learn to apply the Scriptures, 2 Kings 22, verse 11. And then he says, leave not off reading in the Bible till you find your hearts warmed. Pray that God will open his word to you. Psalm 119, 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. From thee. Okay, so the sufficient word of God should affect me by restoring my soul, making me wise, rejoicing my heart, enlightening my eyes, and teaching me to fear God. So there's what the Word of God uh, does uh, as far as Psalm 19 mentions. The heavens creation demonstrates the lawgiver, and then the law of God, the Word of God, what does it do for us? Let me read Psalm 19 to cap off this episode. The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day-to-day pours forth speech, and night-to-night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of its chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. Its uh, rising is from one end of the heavens, and its circuit to the other end of them, and there's nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The precept, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. 
who can discern his errors, acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I hope that's been a blessing to you. I'm the Bible professor.